0: I am. Am. Pregnant. Pretty. Pregnant. Pregnant. I am pregnant. Who pregnant? Are you? We're gonna get a boy. We don't know. Oh, I love unexpected surprises that are good unexpected unexpecteds, right, where whether it be, uh, I, think the, I think the first ones were Publishers Clearinghouse, I think, and, and uh, whether it be Publishers Clearinghouse or a birth announcement or those military ones always get me when, uh, when there's a homecoming and it's unexpected, and there are some really good unexpected surprises that are out there. Then there are some unexpecteds that aren't very good. Um, I was just thinking about what they might be. Well, I suppose an unexpected is when you get a, a letter from the IRS says, hey, we'd like to have a talk with you about your taxes, and you can kind of plan. That wouldn't be a good unexpected. And then there are some unexpecteds that are kind of like you don't know if they're good or bad. They're kind of, they make you question a little bit. And today what I want to do is I want to focus in on, as we've been in this series, Unexpected. We're going to take a look at some of the messages or the message of Jesus Christ. And it seems like whenever Jesus would teach, whenever Jesus would share, people weren't exactly sure how to take it. It it wasn't necessarily bad. It wasn't necessarily good. It just raised a lot of questions. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, it's a great example of when Jesus would share a truth. It it just raised a lot of questions. And Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 through Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 or 29, and it's the cliff notes on the kingdom. If you want to understand kind of just the, the basics of the kingdom of God, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Luke takes the Sermon on the Mount... And he actually shares it throughout the book of Luke. And those are the two books of the Gospels that really get into the Sermon on the Mount. But it's interesting that as soon as Jesus begins to teach, in fact, it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, When he saw the crowds, he went up on the hillside, sat down and his disi- uh, with his disciples. They came to him, and he began to teach them. And as soon as he begins to utter and to teach they are unexpected things. For example, he says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn and weep, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness." And as Jesus is, is giving the blesseds or the Beatitudes, all of a sudden there are question marks that are coming up. What do you mean? I'm blessed if I'm hungry. What do you mean I'm blessed if I mourn and weep? Well, what do you mean I'm blessed if I am broke? <laughs> and then you come to Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. And Jesus begins to share something that I think took everybody by surprise. He says these words, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets." I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, I I think this is the one that blows me away. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but that is an unexpected thing to say, and it blows me away when I see it. Because because when you, when you work down through this passage, there are all kinds of things that are kind of unexpected. For example, when Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, some of you right now are going, wait a minute, I don't, that's unexpected. I mean, I I thought Jesus came to do away with the law. I thought Jesus. I thought the Old Testament was legalism and it was the law and Jesus is about grace. And so I don't understand. I thought we didn't have to pay attention to the Old Testament anymore. And by the way, when you talk about the law, the Jewish mind of the first century would have thought of one of four things. The law can refer to the Ten Commandments. Uh, if you don't know what the Ten Commandments are, starts with that you are to have no other gods before me. You're not going to create. I remember it in the old King James, that you don't have any graven image. You don't make idols. You don't use the Lord's name in vain. Uh, you remember the Sabbath day and you keep it holy. On six days of the week you work, but on the seventh day you rest. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't, uh, uh, don't uh, commit adultery. I mean, we, we, Most of us kind of get the idea on those. And when you're referring to the law, it could be referring to the Ten Commandments, and likely that's what Jesus is doing. But the law can also refer to the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, means the five scrolls. And that was the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That could be referred to as the law. Or when it says the law and the prophets, that refers to all of Scripture. But I think a lot of people who were listening to Jesus were thinking that when he said the law, it was the whole pharisaical law. And it's interesting because I don't know what it is about legalism or what it is about maybe us as humans but it's like sometimes we want to say more we want to have more rules than the bible has and and the old testament had a set of law and you had the 10 commandments but the pharisees and the sadducees and the experts in the law They had law upon law upon law, uh, something like 613 positive and negative laws. And then they had subcategories for every one of them. There were literally thousands and thousands and thousands of rules that Pharisees believed that you had to keep in order to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, it's interesting. I did a little study on this. There, um, Okay, so uh, what is it? Uh, the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. They, and it says that on six days you shall work, or um, on six days you shall work. On the seventh day you are to cease from work or you're to rest. That word work, they believed meant burden. And so they had 39 subcategories of what you could and could not do on the sabbath let me give you an example anything if you raised any food to your lip that weighed more than a dried fig on the sabbath day it was against the law if you i don't know what about donuts donuts weigh more than that but i'm not sure how that works if you, brought, if you lifted any more milk than what you could swallow, that was, you broke the law. If you, had, if you lifted any more honey than what could be used to put on a wound, that was considered a burden. You were working on the Sabbath. They even argued as to whether or not a parent could lift up their child on the Sabbath because that was a burden. They had law upon law upon law and Jesus when he says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven and immediately everybody looked and I'm sure there was this desperation there was almost a discouragement I'm sure they were looking around and saying that's impossible I mean, these are people who are professionally righteous. These are the ones who, as a, as a living, they, are, they, they follow these laws. Why in the world would Jesus say something like that? There are three things that I believe Jesus is inviting us to when He says your righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees and the first thing Jesus is inviting us to is he's inviting us to a a, to lead he's he's inviting us to a life that is a higher level than what you ever imagined you could live it's interesting when you work down through the uh, the sermon on the mount Jesus is trying to lead us to a higher life not a lower life. In fact, you're going to find something really interesting is that, uh, is that grace never calls us to a lower standard of living than what legalism does. It's interesting what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. He said, hearing that Jesus had silenced the, fa- the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, Now it's interesting because Jesus says, if you want to take the law and just break it into two commandments, love God, love others. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, whatever. He says, love God with all your heart and love others as yourself. And if you get those two things, you've got the very essence of the law broken down into two things. And by the way, it's really interesting. If you were to work down through the 10 commandments, first four have to do with God, love God, The last six have to do with people. Love people. If you don't commit adultery, you're loving that person. If you don't steal from a person, you're loving that person. If you honor your father and your mother, you're loving them as yourself. If you, if, you, if you don't have any other gods before God, you're loving God. You're giving God your full devotion. Jesus says, if you just kind of put everything into it. But I love, I love what he says here because what Jesus is trying to help communicate is this whole thing of following the Lord is about love, not legalism. If you want to live life at the highest level, the first thing you're going to have to understand is that following Christ is about love, not about legalism. You'll do things out of love that you never would have done because of legalism. Because legalism says, this is what I have to do to get by. But love says, I'm going to do as much as I can possibly do. And I'm going to do even more. I was telling somebody not long ago, I was working with a couple. And um, and I always remember, there's a name from years ago. Any of you remember the name Gary Smalley? Some of you remember it? (laughs) You go get, <laughs> long time ago, early 90s. Gary Smalley did a lot of speaking on on um, marriage and family and the whole thing. And Gary Smalley, I think it was Gary, and I think this is the right number. Gary Smalley said, hey men, your wives need 12 meaningful touches a day. I think it was 12. Might have been 10, could have been 20. I think it was 12. And so I... Just for fun. When, uh, and this is back when Tammy was st- still at home with the little kids and wasn't uh, working outside the home yet. And uh, so I'd go over to the door and I'd, I'd go up to Tammy and I'd just say, Honey, before I go, 1, 2, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12... There, that should satisfy you for the rest of the day. (laughs) That's legalism. Legalism says this, I'm going to do the very littlest I can do just to get by. But hopefully, I think Tammy would tell you this, oh no, I need way more than 12 meaningful touches a day. Hopefully that's not a burden, but it's interesting because legalism comes across as being a burden burden in our life love says I get to that when the pastor invited me as a as the new groom to kiss my wife he didn't say Phil now you have to kiss your wife he said Phil you may now kiss your bride because this is not an obligation this is not something you have to do this is something you get to do this is something you want to do and 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 if if we can move in our relationship with god from the have to to the get to to the want to that because christ has followed me i love that song we just sang reckless love that Christ has pursued us and he has paid for our sins and he has loved us that when it begins to strike us that God has forgiven us and that he loves us and frankly no matter where you are in the Lord today God could not love you more than he does right at this moment he loves you perfectly he loves you absolutely And when you begin to get a feel for the fact that God loves you that much, you can't help but want to pursue Him and follow Him out of love. So if you're going to live life at the highest level, it becomes about love, not about legalism. And then number two, underneath that same concept, is that you begin to look at maximum standards rather than minimum standards. Now, here's where it's really interesting, because Jesus, Jesus just kind of threw everything out. As he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he is helping them to understand that you are not going to be allowed to just get by anymore. I don't want you just to have minimum standards in your life. I want you to strive for maximum standards in your life and so notice as you compare a minimum mentality with a maximum mentality you work right down through the sermon on the mount and you're seeing the two being displayed for example the law is about following the rules love is about following and pursuing with all of our heart the old testament the law said don't murder but i'm going to tell you i want you to deal with your anger because it's, it's not enough simply not to take somebody's life. That's kind of a minimum. Can we just agree we shouldn't murder? How many would agree with that? Okay, the ones who didn't raise your hands right now, I'm really nervous about. That's okay, security has got your name and they're looking at you right now. I think we realize we shouldn't murder, right? He said, no, no it's not about just not murdering. He says, I want you to deal with your anger. Because harboring hatred... And harboring anger towards someone. It's like you're killing them in your own heart. Even though you didn't physically, literally take their life. He he said, you notice in the Old Testament it says don't commit adultery. Can I just tell you that's a minimum standard. I, I think most of us agree shouldn't commit adultery. He says, I want you to have a life of purity. I want you to deal with your thought life. I want you to deal with the way you look at other people. He says in the Old Testament, you could get divorced according to the rules if there were certain rules. But he said, but I I just want you to be committed to each other. And in the Old Testament, if you made an oath, you're bound by that oath. He says, you shouldn't even need to have an oath. Just keep your word. There's this little misnomer that we can never make an, an oath. We can never make a promise. That's not what Jesus was teaching. What Jesus is teaching is you shouldn't have to. That somehow, if I didn't make an oath that I don't have to keep my word, he says, No, keep your word. Why? Because that's minimum, that's maximum standard. In the Old Testament, he says, justice for all, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He says, But I want you to know, I want you to show grace to everybody. And back and forth and back and forth away their idea. Everybody was taught you just got to follow the rules jesus says no that's not enough if you're just following the rules you don't you don't understand the kingdom at all it's a relationship and it's taking you to a life that is so much higher than what you ever imagined the second invitation that jesus is making in this passage when he says you're you're Your righteousness needs to surpass the Pharisees. As he says, I'm going to lead you to a deeper holiness than you could ever achieve in your own see they were under the idea that if i could just do enough things on the outside if i could just live my life with enough self-discipline doing enough works on the outside then that would make me right before god and jesus says that's not it at all he says when you are righteous on the inside it will produce stuff on the outside notice what he says in matthew chapter 15. He says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. In other words, when you have foul stuff coming out of your mouth, it's just because you've got foulness in your heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Now, I want you to catch what he's saying here. Because at first when you hear this, if you're like I was the first time I heard it, I kind of push back against it a little bit. But he says the reason that you murder, the reason you do this stuff is because you're a murderer at the heart. And the reason that you commit adultery is because you're an adulterer at heart. And the reason that you steal is because you're a thief at heart. And the reason that you lie is because you're a liar at heart. And that is one of the hardest things to hear somebody say. I remember the first time I think I heard that said by someone, for some reason I remember it was Chuck Swindoll, 35 years ago. lot of me that wanted to say no 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 that can't be right that 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 can't be no no it's, it's it's only if you do these things and he goes no he says you do these things because of who you are at your heart and when Jesus looks at us and says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven he's looking at them and he's saying that you need to allow me to do a work of righteousness in you that you could never do for yourself and righteousness is not about it. It's about having me do something on the inside and then it'll begin to show itself on the outside of your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is one of my favorite verses in all the New Testament. And it says that God made Him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That blows me away. That when the perfect, sinless Son of God went to the cross and died for my sins, God took my sin and didn't just put it on Him. It says He made Him sin. Jesus took on my sin so that I could take on His righteousness. And I did I believe it with all my heart, but I don't understand how He did it. I don't have to understand something to embrace something. I don't have to understand something to believe it. But when Jesus is preaching that Sermon on the Mount... He says, I want to take you to a higher level of living than you ever imagined you could ever live. And I want to take you and do a deeper work of holiness in your life than you ever imagined that I could do. Number three, I want to teach you and lead you to an absolute and utter dependency on God's provision in your life. You see, if you can't produce this yourself, then you're absolutely dependent upon God to do it for you and in you. Pastor Ryan and I were going out and we were going to do a little target shooting. And so we were going out to a farm and I had my truck and I loaded up all my stuff in the back of the truck. And I was all excited because he'd never gone out with me before. And I was just kind of taking him out. And so we were driving out into this field. And I I didn't realize how wet it was in that field. Um, But as I began to drive back into the field, because it was a lot of grass, we were driving on top of that grass. My tires started to slip a little bit. And uh, I thought, ooh, that's not good. And then I had that horrible feeling when my tires began to I could feel it slipping down into the like into the mud. And I go, Oh, that's not good. So I thought, well, if I, I kind of just keep moving, maybe I'll be able to get here and turn around and that wasn't gonna happen. I, I the faster I went, the more I slipped and the more I went down. And uh, I looked over at Ryan and I said, um, hey, we might be in trouble. And uh, I I don't know what I was thinking. I put it in reverse just to see if I could ease out. And I don't know what I was thinking. I opened my door. (laughs) You ever done that? (laughs) Just mud all up and down my door on the inside. I'm like, oh, shoot. Have any of you ever gotten stuck? You ever done it? Okay, I think I'm a pro at it. I... I've been stuck so many times. I, I've been stuck so many times that it doesn't take me very long at all to figure out I'm stuck. <laughs> I was remembering Tammy this morning, I, I was in the first service I was thinking of. Um, I borrowed Gerald Palmateer's tractor to do some work in our backyard, and I, I buried that thing. <laughs> and I'm back there, and all I was worried about is how in the world am I going to get this thing unstuck? without telling Gerald what I did because his tractor's just stuck and I'm back here trying to get the thing out and by the way, my wife is taking pictures of it the whole time Pastor Ryan did the same thing my truck is stuck and it's all covered with mud, he's out there taking video but I've been stuck enough to know very quickly when you're not, I'm not going to get out by myself and so I called the the farmer's son and I said, hey, I'm really sorry to bug you. Are you home? And he said, yeah. I said, hey, is there any way you could bring a tractor back and, and pull me out? And uh, he said, yeah, I'll be back here in a few minutes. And so a little bit later, he came back with a tractor. <laughs> and when he got out and he looked at it, he goes, yep, you're stuck. <laughs> and he hooked up a chain and began to pull me out and... Uh, finally got me to a place where I was able to get enough traction that I could get out and I don't know about you but when you realize you can't do something you kind of just have to resign yourself to the fact you can't do it and then you just kind of got to release your pride and reach out to someone else to help you and then Once they're helping you, you just got to rest a little bit and just know and trust them that they're going to get you out. Matthew 11 are Jesus' words to people who finally come to realize they can't do it on their own strength. Here's what he says. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. One translation says if you are if you are Weighed down and burdened by all the heavy regulations in your life. Come to me and I will give you rest. And then he says, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And it's Jesus's direct words and direct invitation to those who are so tired of trying to be good in their own strength. See, here's the deal. I think there's a lot of people that are here and are watching at home who have been stuck for a long time. And you're trying to get unstuck by your own strength and you keep spinning your tires. And the the stuckness might be in your spiritual walk. And the stuckness might be in relationship and the stuckness could be in a life-dominating sin that you just you just keep trying and spinning your wheels and spinning your wheels and some of you that's 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 the definition of your relationship with God you try really hard and you fall short and you try really hard and you fall short and you try really hard and you're just discouraged because you know you'll never be good enough To go to heaven. And can I just share with you when you finally realize that and accept what God has done for you through his son Jesus Christ, when you finally realize you're stuck and you don't have to do this on your own, you're at the very beginning of what it means to be set free. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, release it and I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls. You don't have to be in this constant turmoil. Come to me. And so, Lord, this morning, as we were celebrating together earlier, we focused in on communion. And really, communion is just a physical symbol that illustrates we're stuck without you. Forgive me, Lord, when I've been trying to do this whole thing of faith in my own strength. I've been living by minimum standards to just make sure I'm a good person and just kind of get by when all along you've been calling me to a life that is so much higher, so much greater, a a holiness that is so much deeper than what I ever imagined you could do. And I, I don't know where it is this morning that you feel stuck. maybe this morning is the day that you open your hands and release this to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to do this in my own strength. I desperately need you. And so I invite you into my stuckness. I invite you into my life. I I invite you into my relationships. I invite you into this area that seems to dominate me and I want to trust you. I'll do my part, Lord, but I need you desperately to do for me what I could never do for myself. And Lord, Your Word says that You shall know the truth and the truth will set You free. And so, Lord, I pray that as I embrace that truth today, that You would set me free from all these things that have just weighing me down as I just give them to You. And I trust You. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.